You're listening to the audio podcast of Richard Hefner's Open Mind. For more information, visit 13.org slash open mind. I'm Richard Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. And once again today, my guest is Theda Scotchpole, the much-acclaimed Victor S. Thomas Professor of Government and Sociology at Harvard University, whose contributions to scholarship, as well as the honors and awards she has received for her researches and writings, are almost too numerous to recount. Dr. Scotchpole joins me, of course, as the co-author, along with University of Minnesota scholar Lawrence Jacobs, of the Russell Sage Foundation's impressive new study, Reaching for a New Deal, President Obama's Agenda and the Dynamics of U.S. Politics. In it, Professors Scotchpole and Jacobs have organized and presented various scholars' findings on the course and fate during the first half of the Obama administration of a number of areas of domestic change promised by the president as candidates. These reports are on health reform, financial regulation, energy and climate change, tax policy, higher education funding, primary and secondary school reform, immigration policy, and labor law reform. Now, last time, Professor Scotchpole began to report on the reports, and we'll pick up now where we left off then. Professor Scotchpole, we didn't get terribly far, but I'd like to go seriatim down on some of the uh, reports of your um, uh, work. Uh, number one, the eliminating the market middleman, redirecting and expanding support for college students. What's the uh, report on that? Well, it's a good one to select to get at one of the central dilemmas that a change-oriented Democratic president faced at this point. You know, Obama comes into office. There are a lot of people saying, oh, he's got a chance for a new New Deal because he's got big Democratic majorities behind him. And he had promised to ask more from the wealthy and do more to create a bottom-up economy with opportunity, security for the majority of Americans. Now, helping people to go to college is a big part of that because over the last several decades, the United States has gone from number one to number 11 in graduating people from college. And the drop-off has especially been for lower middle income and lower income families that can't afford to send their young people to college. Federal policy has become less and less generous. So one of the reforms Obama put forward, one of many, was to reform our loan and, and uh, grant system to remove banks which had been serving as middlemen for federal, federally, federally guaranteed college loans and raking off a profit for serving as middlemen with no risk, really, um, and use the, uh, the money, um, billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, saved by setting aside the banks as middlemen to make Pell Grants for poor college students more generous and to improve the terms of loans to middle-class families. And that worked. It did. Now, it barely made it. It had to make it through not just the House of Representatives, but through the Senate, where, as we know, uh, Republicans insist on 60 votes out of 100 for anything to even be talked about, let alone voted on. 
it was folded into the end game for the Affordable Care Act and passed by 51 votes in the Senate. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been passed at all. Now, the point I want to make about this is that this is emblematic of, of the challenge a reform-oriented Democrat faced in the early 21st century. Back in the 1930s, FDR was getting the federal government involved in promoting security and opportunity for the majority of Americans for the first time in peacetime. It's one thing to create programs that are brand new. But Obama came to office after decades of regulatory and spending interventions with a big fiscal deficit and uh, a lot of encrusted lobbyists in Washington prepared to defend the privileges of every group and every industry that had a stake in federal policy. I had the feeling as I read about this in uh, your overall evaluation that here was real redistribution of wealth. It was, and Obama, at least for the first two years of his presidency when he had Democrats in Congress, has tried to pull back from some of the special profits and regulatory advantages and tax advantages for the wealthy and for privileged businesses and use the resources that were freed up to expand health care, to improve the terms of college loans. Those are just some of the examples. Uh, but my point would be it's been an uphill, all-out war every step of the way because the groups that had a stake in the older ways of doing things knew exactly what they were going to lose. And they didn't want to give up any of their advantages or privileges. They could get me messages out on the media, uh, deploy hundreds of lobbyists to pressure Congress. They had all the advantages uh, in fighting these things. So even though many people think that Obama's promises of change have fallen short, and they have in many areas, I think we should all pause for a moment and recognize that some of his big victories in financial reform, higher education loan reform, and above all the Affordable Care Act health reform uh, were very hard fought and are remarkable achievements given the opposition he faced. Well, let's go through them um, seriatim uh, so that we can really have a scorecard. Um, okay, the contest of lobbies and disciplines, financial politics, and regulatory reform in the Obama administration. How does Daniel Carpenter come up on that? What's the report card say? Well, I would say he probably comes out somewhere around a B or B plus, depending on whether we're in the great inflation <laughs> environment. Um, uh, Dan Carpenter is um, um, one of my colleagues at Harvard University, and he, his chapter does a wonderful job of explaining not just why it was hard to get financial reform, new rules of the game for Wall Street and its products through Congress, but why it was difficult to work it out in the federal bureaucracy where you had a series of agencies with cozy relationships with Wall Street that had a stake in keeping things the way they are. And part of his story is the story over the creating the, the, the Consumer Product Safety um, 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 Bureau that is headed by Elizabeth Warren and how hard that was opposed and how it ultimately happened but only in a way that keeps that bureau part of uh, uh, the Fed. Uh, you know, you make such an interesting point. Um, uh, 
that here that in the absence perhaps or where there is an absence of major legislative change that the administration itself can do very much in changing the uh, complexion of this nation. Yes, and you know, the presidency is so hard fought uh, in the United States because even when a president is stymied in what he or we hope someday she can get through Congress, um, a lot can be done through uh, the cabinet agencies and through regulation. So a good example of that that Dorian Warren of Columbia University talks about in this volume is labor law reform. Um, you know, uh, the labor movement uh, is beleaguered. Uh, the union sector has shrunk in the United States, but they went all out uh, to help elect Obama in 2008. And their number one um, piece of what they wanted in return was for Obama and the Democratic majorities to pass uh, changes in the rules governing the formation of labor unions that would allow for quick elections and perhaps card check um, uh, rather than giving employers a chance over many months to defeat a union drive. Well, that law, just that bill, just didn't have a chance. Um, as was true in a number of these policy areas like environmental and energy reform and immigration reform. Once the Republicans in the 111th Congress decided to say no to any and everything President Obama wanted, it was a question of whether you could get Democrats to hang together. When do Democrats hang together? <laughs> Not very often. Uh, and they had to have virtually everybody on board in the House majority and they had to have 60 Democrats plus Joe Lieberman, whatever he is, in the Senate. They couldn't do that in most of these policy areas. They certainly couldn't do it in changing labor law. So, or in the environmental and energy area. So what did Obama's administration do? It fell back on trying to do things through the federal bureaucracy, through appointing uh, good people to key agencies uh, or to the National Labor Relations Board and coming up with rulings that would do things through regulation rather than through legislation. Now, with a new Republican House pledged again to say no, uh, can those administrative changes, uh, are they likely to be undone themselves? Well, in the labor law area, um, you know, I think Obama's labor secretary, Hilda Solis, will continue to enforce rules that Republicans before her were simply not enforcing, even though they were on the books. Health, I mean, health and safety rules. Mm -hmm. uh, and the National Labor Relations Board will have uh, some of the appointees that the union movement wanted serving until their uh, presidential appointments without congressional approval run out. Uh, in many areas, though, uh, environment and energy, um, health care, uh, the Republicans will go on the offensive They in the House. They will drag people in for hearings. They will try to embarrass them. They will try to defund particular parts of, uh, of laws that are already on the books. And we are going to see whether President Obama and his administration uh, both have some backbone and whether they are able to turn some of these theatrical events around. Remember years ago when Oliver North uh, went into a congressional hearing and turned it against its, the people who were trying to embarrass him? 
if the Democrats are any good at political theater, they'll turn some of these hearings around and embarrass the House Republicans. Uh, if, if, you say, they don't have a chest full of medals either. No, they, they don't. won't come in in no. full regalia. No. Democrats are puzzlingly poor at communications these days. I, I don't quite understand it. Well, what's your guess as a political scientist about the power of the one house now dominated by Republicans to, uh, if I may be so indelicate, uh, to screw up the works for the administration? Oh, I think they're going to try, and I think they'll probably make a fair amount of headway, but we'll see very, very early in uh, the next year uh, whether President Obama will cave to everything they try to do or will call their bluff on some of the things. And um, uh, so far he's shown signs of compromising in advance every time. And every time he does that, the Republicans say, thank you very much, that's not enough, give us more. I think he has a reputation in Washington now for being weak. My God. And that's not good, because Washington is a, a town full of sharks. Uh, it's too depressing. Let me go on to the to the next um, chapter in uh, this book, um, and it's very close to what you're saying. The contest of lobbies and disciplines. Um, well, we talked about that. That's yes, the financial. Yes, but report. I want to go further on the matter of lobbies. Oh yes. Well, lobbies are. Um, you know, President Obama said he wouldn't appoint lobbyists to his administration, and he made he exceptions, didn't. but on the whole, he didn't. But uh, so interesting. I mean, uh, one of the things that the Tea Party movement has in common with many leftists is the suspicion of the close relationship between lobbyists and Congress. And yet, most of the Tea Party um, uh, House and Senate candidates that have won have hired lobbyists inside lobbyists with long histories of advocating for business subsidies to work for them. So I don't think the lobbies are going anywhere. Uh, Not going anywhere away. No, they're right there. Okay, let's, let's move on to the, uh, the unsurprising failure of labor law reform. In a sense, you've touched on that. Surprising momentum, spurring education reforms in states and localities, and you touched on that to a certain extent, but what elaborate on that, if you Well, will. that's a fascinating story, and I think we're going to see more of this over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, the education department is one of the smallest and weakest parts of the federal government, and yet... Um, Arnie, Arnie Duncan, Duncan doesn't Duncan, look as that, that Arnie way. Arnie Duncan doesn't look weak, and he actually managed to use money that he got through the stimulus legislation to encourage the states to compete uh, for grants on, in the Race to the Top program. Lorraine McDonnell, who's, an, uh, who's a specialist on this, writes about this fascinating story of how they used federal stimulus money to encourage the spread of local and state uh, educational reforms and to get dozens of states to do things, even though only a few of them got the ultimate grants. By bidding. Yes, by bidding. And, you know, that's clever because, of course, there are many policy areas in which the federal government doesn't have direct control. What it can do is dangle carrots. And um, if you can get states and localities to compete to do better in return for these kinds of carrots, uh, you can actually promote much more change than, you might, than might seem possible with a small federal budget in an area. That's the story that gets told for education reform. 
plus or minus in the long run, or in the short run? Well, I mean, as Lorraine McDonald argue, McDonald argues, um, what comes next? We don't know, and um, the federal stimulus money is going away. But some of these changes that are being made in the states probably are going to stick. Um, I expect Obama to talk about education reform uh, going into the 2012 election. Now, further on our scorecard here, immigration reform, a tough sell for a grand bargain. Yes. John Scrantney uh, talks about this, uh, this area, and you know, here's a president who was elected with remarkable turnout among the Latino populations, uh, and he promised uh, both Latinos and, frankly, many groups in the United States that he would reform what we consider to be a broken immigration system. Uh, but not with a new idea. I mean, Scrutiny tells us that Obama tried to revive the grand compromise that almost passed under President Bush, Bush and which originally had some Republican support. Um, this is an area where you had to have both Republican and Democratic support because the Democratic Party is divided, as is the Republican Party. And this just didn't go anywhere in a climate in which Republicans were just saying no to everything. So it remains unresolved. Um, Obama has actually cracked down on illegal immigrants uh, and on employers of illegal immigrants to a much greater degree than any previous president, but it remains a hot-button political issue that uh, many Republicans are using uh, to mobilize uh, support among um, white native-born Americans. Figure that one out, the crackdown. Well, I think that Obama, like many presidents, has felt that if we can't show that we're trying to enforce the rules of entry, that it'll be very difficult to get a political compromise about legalizing people who are already here. Um, rationalization? Question mark? I don't think it's a rationalization. I think um, it's probably an attempt to make things work. Now, the Obama people have changed the emphasis. They've done a bunch of showy things about sending forces down to the border in places like Arizona, but all the research shows that that will never work. All it does is cause more deaths um, uh, and uh, cost a lot of resources. You cannot keep illegals from crossing uh, a huge land frontier when the economic incentives are high. Fewer are crossing right now mainly because the economy is in um, a slowdown. You know that, and because you tell me, I know that. The administration must know that, too. They know it, and I think they have placed a lot of emphasis, though, on trying to prevent employers from uh, uh, hiring undocumented. And if you think about it, um, why would they do that? Well, they're trying to uh, get at the one policy that would actually work. If the jobs aren't there, people won't come and they're trying to satisfy the trade union component of the Democratic Party, and they're trying to create some incentive for a deal in Congress that requires some Republican votes. It hasn't worked. It's not going to work in the near future. That's the key thing, isn't it? Right. And you don't think it's going to work? No, I don't, because I don't see the two parties coming together around any aspect of immigration reform right now, and John Scrutiny argues that the grand bargain is really dead, and that at most parts of it will pass. Cold front, how the recession stalled Obama's clean energy agenda. 
Yeah, Judith Laser um, talks about this fascinating area. And, you know, I think a lot of people had high hopes that this was the chance for some kind of comprehensive energy policy that would have um, uh, components that could uh, deal with climate change issues, uh, particularly a cap-and-trade system. Uh, and once again, this would have required votes from both Democrats and Republicans in Congress, so it was in a way a non-starter. But I think what really undermined this, and Laser talks about this in detail, is that in an economic downturn, um, it's very easy for conservative opponents of any kind of climate change legislation funded by the oil and gas industry, secretly actually, for the most part, to convince Americans that they'd be forced to pay more for gasoline or for home heating. And so this is really in many ways a, a casualty of the deep economic downturn that greeted Obama. In the few minutes we have remaining, what is chapter nine in your book, Paying America's Way, the Fraught Politics of Taxes, Investments, and Budgetary Responsibility. Well, this one's not going away, is it? Because Obama uh, campaigned for office saying that the rich, and let's be clear, most of the results of economic growth in this country for the last several decades have gone in the form of outrageous profits and tax breaks to the very wealthy, to millionaires and billionaires. Uh, and Obama promised to let the tax breaks for that highly privileged group that were costing this country so much over the long run, to let them lapse. We now know that he has broken that promise, at least temporarily in the tax cut deal he sponsored with the incoming Republicans. Um, uh, as Andrea Campbell lays out, um, all the rest of this, health care reform, uh, economic development, higher education, depends on figuring out a way to become more honest about the taxes we're going to have to pay in this country and collect if we're going to do anything together through government. Uh, Obama deserves some credit for being willing to talk about a topic that for the most part Democrats don't want to even name. But he has not succeeded in holding the line against disproportionate giveaways, um, reductions in the tax burden to the very wealthy. Okay. Conclusion. He has not held the line. In the couple of minutes that we have left, I want to ask you, as we go down the judgments that are made about the promise that we all identified with the new administration, what's your own sense, you as a observer of American politics, what's your own sense about of the question of would you have done the same. Would it be just about the same for good or for bad if you were doing it? Given the extraordinary uh, uh, opposition to changing directions in domestic policy that Obama has faced, I think he's done a pretty good job. Uh, some major things have been accomplished over the first two years. If he's reelected, many of them will survive uh, and they'll be there to build on in the future. But where I fault him and where I would have done differently or had someone do differently, 
was I think he needed to recognize that if you're going to take office just as America is plunging into a financial crisis that's going to undermine the family fortunes uh, of millions of people and uh, you know, particularly wealth in the housing market and lead to prolonged high unemployment, the, people wanted him to have a bold plan for economic renewal and for job creation. And he didn't articulate that. I think it's very disappointing that he didn't. Uh, he's not gotten the right economic advice, perhaps, or he was too worried about what should get through Congress. But I think Americans, to this moment, want to hear from the president about where the country needs to go to revive our economy, create full employment, make us more competitive with the Chinese. And he should lay that out, even if it can't all be achieved uh, in the next congressional session. When you say, even at this moment, you're saying then something substantial can be done. Well, at the very least, he could use the bully pope of, of the presidency to lay out what the challenges America faces economically are and what he thinks should be done. For example, we need to renew the infrastructure in this country, uh, repair and fix a lot of things, make sure we have high-speed internet that's universal. These are things that would capture the popular imagination. Research in political science shows that people often like concrete things like that. And it could be uh, made a, a patriotic argument about what we need to make America fully competitive on the world stage. It's a good moment to invest through perhaps public-private partnerships in uh, infrastructure development and renewal, and it would create jobs in America, not in China or India, the way tax cuts for the very rich tend to do. Uh, would he be able to get that through Congress? Well, no, he's not going to get anything through Congress that the Republicans uh, in the House don't want over the next two years. But he might capture the American imagination. He might not just squeak through to re-election. He might actually get re-elected with some enthusiasm and then he could have leverage to push that in a second term. Dr. Scotchfold, you're going to have to come back sometime when all of this has played out. Thank you very much, though, for having joined me today and last time. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. And thanks, too, to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time. Meanwhile, as an old friend used to say, good night and good luck. And do visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to reprise this program online or to draw upon our archive of 1,500 other open mind and related programs. That's 13.org slash open mind.